wonderful to see you all, church, on this Palm Sunday, one in a series of many, of course, until Jesus' return. You know, on Jesus' entry to Jerusalem, the people asked, who is this? Who is this man who came in riding on a donkey and a colt in the fulfillment of God's scripture? Who is this man who made the blind see, the crippled walk, the lepers clean? Who is this man who raised Lazarus from the dead? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Little did any of them, even those closest to him, understand this prophet from Nazareth in Galilee was on his way to Golgotha to complete the work of God the Father. Jesus, only a short time later, would be hanging from a cross, surrounded in his mortal agony by two thieves, and to the end, doing the work that his father laid before him, by showing in giving his grace and forgiveness to all sinners who ask. To that end, we look forward to Easter, celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. It is only fitting, then, that we contemplate the question, who is this? Who is this man? Much like those lining the streets in Jerusalem did that first Palm Sunday, our first point of reflection today is contemplating this question. Who is this? Who is this man? Our second builds off the first. If this man, Jesus, is who he says he is, then what's our identity in him? And third, how are we called to follow? In a world of everyday concerns and painful realities, the easiest thing to do is forget who this man is and become absorbed in ourselves. So we must ask ourselves this question often. One final note before we begin. As always, we'll seek to be faithful to God's word, the scripture. Anything that we say today, check and look for yourselves to see if what I say is true. Don't assume because I say it, it's correct. So who is this, the Israelites cried? Great question. If we're honest, we probably ask ourselves that question personally almost every day. Probably multiple times per day. Probably too often. And in many different ways. Probably like me and you, you stand in front of the mirror each morning holding a meandering internal dialogue of what I'm going to do today, the ways I could have been better, who scorned me, maybe break the outward silence, talk to the dog for a second, go back to the order of the day. Who am I going to be when the sun sets? You might say we're hyper-obsessed, even the best of times, with who we are. Yet that is an altogether different sermon. But it does give us a close personal clue and some worldly insight into the importance of this question to us. Who is this man? How much more important is this question if Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of Man? How often we forget and put ourselves first before the Lord. If we cannot answer this question deeply and personally, who is this man, Jesus, then we cannot find faith in him. Certainly not abiding faith. And we certainly cannot follow him. Missteps or forgetfulness can lead down the road of mistaken identity. The mistaken identity of our Savior. Therefore, for the Christian, the question of who is central to our faith. 
and easy to overlook, much to our deep and abiding detriment, beloved. On Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, on his way to the cross and the tomb, the residents of Jerusalem lined the streets. Some were celebrating, throwing down their cloaks and laying down palm branches, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. But no one truly knew who he was and what he was about to do. Little did they understand he would soon be hanging from that cross or utter the ultimate words of finitude and life. It is finished. All for them and us just a short time later. The question of who Jesus is at the moment of Palm Sunday was very much a live question. Beloved, those of you who had the blessing of rejoicing in Holy Week's past as believers in Jesus Christ, know that the Messiah then, as now, is still the subject to a case of mistaken identity. See, suffering under Roman occupation, many Israelites thought that the coming king of Israel that he was the coming king of Israel, that Jesus' mission was to free them from what they assumed Caesar stole and was lording over them under the rule of Pontius Pilate. When in fact, Jesus came for altogether another kingdom and not the worldly kingdom of princes and principalities, which of course he had a hand in creating. They didn't understand. Jesus came to open the way to the kingdom of heaven for all those who believed so that his father's work his work and the work of the Spirit, the work of our salvation, could be done. After Jesus' triumphal procession on Palm Sunday, he revealed this truth to his apostles. If we read further in John 14, 6, Jesus confronted the questions of Thomas about the way to him after Jesus tells the apostles that he must depart. He says this, and I'm sure many of you know it by heart. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. Jesus' identity, who he was and what he was doing, was first and foremost a kingdom identity. And not simply or merely an earthly one. Later, Jesus takes time to explain this in more detail to his apostles. As he explains it the same to you today, his beloved church, saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, so it will be even more fruitful. John 15, 2 and 3. Jesus makes this much clearer when he explains further that in this analogy, I am the vine, and you are the branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 Nothing to bear up under his yoke. And the greatest of the two commandments. To love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Nor the ability to love the neighbor as ourselves. Nothing. To love as our true selves, the sons and daughters and true heirs of the kingdom of the heavens. This is what nothing means. We cannot, cannot do that. Who is this man then who came into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday riding with colt and donkey? 
To those gathering on the streets of Jerusalem, identifying him as a prophet from Nazareth and Galilee, Jesus was no conquering political king, but neither was he simply a prophet. Both are cases of mistaken identity. To his apostles, he was not simply a rabbi or a prophet, as Jesus explained when confronted with Thomas's questions about how to follow him when he goes. Jesus was no conquering king here to free Israel from Caesar, just as he is not simply a prophet or a teacher to those closest to him. Jesus is the Son of Man, here to give life so that the branches of his vine could bear the fruit of the Spirit and the kingdom. He was their beloved in that time and in that place to not be mistaken, but taken for your sins and mine. He was and is the Messiah. Your Messiah, my Messiah, our Lord. Jesus Christ was there to do the work of the Father, the kind of work we cannot do for ourselves. To be sacrificed, to be the sacrifice of greater love for the sins of all. So that those of us who put our faith in him can be grafted into the vine. Bear the fruit of the kingdom. He was there to tell, show, live out. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life. For one's friends. John 15, 13. This is who this man was, is, and always will be. For us who are grafted to the root, when we mistake who he is and what he has done for us, we dishonor this. We dishonor him. We harm him as much as we're able and ourselves. This brings us to our second point. The question of our identity in him. Our harm does not have to be permanent. I do not know about you, but as I've looked back over my life, I can call out the painful defeats and scars quite easily. All the times these hardships occurred, they were often at their most painful at the time that they happened. But with time, we can often see a pattern. A pattern where they have led us to growth, even if the pain doesn't always recede as much as we would like or hope. Our identity in Jesus is very similar. As disciples and followers of Christ who know Jesus is, who know who Jesus is and what he has done in a deeply personal way, we know acutely, both historically and in the moment, that while we may be free of paying for our sins in the final reckoning, that we still have to deal with our sin nature. Out of all the possible lessons that really stick, it is the painful ones that tend to bring about the greatest opportunities for growth. About 10 years ago, my father passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease. During his struggle with that illness, he became a true prisoner in his body, which many of us, thankfully, will never have to experience to that degree. All pain, whether it is losing control of a situation, truly being or feeling helpless, Or as I often do, banging your head on the kitchen cabinets approximates dying to some degree, with the kitchen cabinets being on the lesser end of the scale, of course. This is a common experience for all of humankind, and we often ignore its existential implications. It's all too human. As my father slowly withered away, I was able to make it home and deliver the message of the gospel that I should have delivered so many times before. 
and but a few hours before he passed. The Lord authored that opportunity in the midst of tragedy, and it is still sweet and soothing to this day. And often from that point forward, I have been far less shy, as a consequence, in talking about my Lord, so his will be done. I can use my father's story now to illustrate the significance of who Jesus is and what he has done. I can tell others through my being in him, who is this man? I'm sure, beloved, if you reflect, even in the midst of all your daily dings and heartbreaks, of which I'm sure there are many, you will understand how you could really do nothing outside of him. Earlier, we thoughtfully considered who Jesus is by focusing on a specific piece of John 15, 3. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And now we must turn thoughtfully back to the first part of that verse. And if you recall, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because Jesus is the Son of Man, our identity in him, and his purpose, likewise, in us, is to bear the fruit of the kingdom. As modern as it would be to talk about the different sides of the same coin separately, him and us, and then us and him, this is not Jesus' focus. In fact, this would be wholly wrong-minded. It is notable that the first way he addresses this fact, our identity in him, in John's gospel, is not to talk about what he is empowering you to do, which is generally the order of the day for most people, but enforcing your status as a branch. Your identity in him is far more significant than what he empowers you to do. Your identity in him is far more significant than what he empowers you to do. Jesus, in fact, issues a conditional. He says further in John 15, 15 through 16, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Our identity in him, in Jesus Christ, is not as servants who simply do the will of the master, but as friends. Friends know each other's motives and share for the betterment of each other. Because they are in close relationship and love one another. That is a first fruit of friendship. And that is a first fruit of your grafting onto the root of the vine. As the old hymn goes, which I'm sure many of you know, singing of the first fruits. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Which is probably why we often learn this hymn in our early days of our walk with the Lord. In some ways, it sort of says it all. By implication, all our painful history, helplessness, and fear is up there with Jesus on the cross. Now, through the way, the truth, and the life, we have a friend. If there is a joy more foundational to the social side of our human nature than a friend, honestly, beloved, I don't know it. Our first fruit on the vine is him, through him, and by him. The condition under which our first fruit frightened, though, is unpleasant. 
It's called adversity. Our identity in Jesus isn't simply an internal life. It's a life of serving a friend, a friend that calls for action. These actions are going to be met by the enemy. Jesus tells us specifically they will be met by hate. Picking back up with John 15, 18 through 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. We always love those, beloved, who love us first. This is a common feature of our human nature. And like everything in that tainted nature, it can serve many masters. Now, beloved, our identity in Jesus Christ isn't merely an internal life. That's one thing we need to take away. It's also an external call that can and will be very real and very raw. Jesus wanted his disciples and all those who would be listening to his words ages later to know this. Our first fruits in Jesus are both joy and a promise of adversity. Like our fall from grace in the garden, but without the deathly promise... Our first fruits are certainly well uncomfortable a victory. So who is this man? The question voiced on that Palm Sunday long ago, but not entirely different from this one, is the invitation to become a lifelong friend and disciple of Jesus, who lives in us and us in him. That's the promise. It's a call to live. By the one who gives life each day in the midst of the pain, which often shapes our growth in our faith. And this brings us to our last point. We've already discussed who is this man? Who are we? What is our identity in him? And now we ask the final question, how shall we follow him? How shall we follow him? Who Jesus is and what he calls us to do shapes our identity in him. That was Jesus' point. And it begs the question asked by Thomas which was quite natural, how shall we follow him? I have to give Thomas a little credit there. Have you ever closely followed anyone you look up to who's both talented and dynamic? The relationship often challenges you. This person could do things you're not able to do, and perhaps even go places that you can't go. They have a standing and an identity that puts them in a whole other world of access and privilege because of who they are and hopefully what they have done. I have a friend who, when he was in graduate school, studied physics. A famous Nobel-nominated physicist came to visit his university, and my friend was nominated to be able to guide him through campus for the day. My friend was not normally one for authority or pomp and circumstance, yet he was pretty excited. I I can remember him calling me and telling me the good news. He said he was so energized by something that I thought he would reject completely. I mean, I literally thought he was kind of off his rocker. Uh, You don't understand, he explained. This is the person who has the career that I want. Somebody I look up to. Somebody I aspire to be. That day came and it went. And it went well, both for the famous physicist and my friend. They hit it off and joked their way across campus the entire day. The famous personage even referenced my friend in a talk he gave later. And as a result, my friend told me he couldn't even believe it. It was such an honor. These things don't happen every day, let alone go your way. So easily, because you can crack a joke with another smart person. 
As the day came to a close, the last thing on the agenda was dinner, which was to be held at a fine restaurant in town. My friend's last job was to get his charge to the restaurant. Easy enough, right? As my friend walked the visiting physicist into the restaurant, the host guided them back towards the private room. And as you may have guessed, my friend got left at the door of that private room. The physicist turned to my friend at the door and he said, It's been a pure pleasure. I have to go to dinner with my colleagues now. What he really said was, you're not part of this world, and you really don't belong. We've all had times in our life, like my friends, such as when your friends or frenemies don't invite you to an event, or your colleagues get promoted and you get left behind. The world is constantly defining and opening up divisions. Divisions. Some divisions work for you. And unsurprisingly, others work against you. What Christ is saying to us is clear as a bell. He's saying in this world of divisions, you belong to me. You are with me. Enter heaven with me. Walk with me. You belong to me. Instead of follow me is to belong. Sounds simple enough, but it's utter truth. Again, returning to John 15, let's observe what Jesus said. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. He continues by saying, if you're in him, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. We are called to follow Jesus by being called from our world, which he authored, to his place in our world. Catch the difference? We are called to follow Jesus by being called from our world, which he authored, to his place in our world and beyond which is equal parts transcendent, peerless, and integrated. We suddenly realize to follow Jesus is to be called an heir to the kingdom of heaven. It's to face this inheritance which we have neither earned, neither earned, nor deserve. Which is why Jesus appeared at the gates of Jerusalem all those Palm Sundays ago and went before wayward human judgment and chose to turn following his father's wishes to the cross. Within this belonging, Christ takes it a step further, stating in John 13, 9-12, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you... That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Aha. To follow isn't yet to go where he is while we hear, while here and dwell in the flesh, flesh, beloved. It's to keep and follow Jesus' commands. What are those commands? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. John 13, 3 which is powerfully condensed version of Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you follow his commands. Who he is, we, who we are in him and how we follow him are really different parts of the same symphonic movement. The question of 
Who is this man? The same the Israelites asked ages ago. It's just as relevant on our Palm Sunday. But here, beloved, it comes with the promise of a twist. The same question applied to Jesus that day. Now that hopefully, beloved, you are in him and he is in you is equally applied to you. Who is this man or woman in front of me? Who are you in Christ? How you follow Jesus is how you respond to this question. Vine, branch, fruit, adversity, growth, and all. If I can, church, I'd like to close with two points of application. Though there are no doubt many more um, that you will have thought of yourselves and will have the joy of discovering in in the coming days or minutes, uh, depending on how quickly your, your realizations work. First, as we go from church this Palm Sunday and face the magnitude of who Jesus is and who we are in him, really take the time to pray and reflect on how you can do nothing outside of him. One of the hardest things for a human being to do is to admit that they are powerless. Even the sun does not rise without Jesus' lordship. Do you believe this every day? So ask yourself, where have you been putting false hope? Or mistaking and replacing Jesus' place and identity with something far less. Something far less precious and far less valuable. We do it all the time. I do it all the time. We are idolaters and all fall short of the glory of God. Now if you are a true follower or disciple of Jesus and have been saved by his grace and mercy at the foot of the cross, then you know your transgressions can and will be forgiven. Yet you are now richer in Christ for having asked and reflected and prayed. And now through him realize all more clearly how much you need him and how much without him you can do nothing. Again, what a privilege is, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. But if you are not yet in Christ and more akin to those who throng the streets of Jerusalem, the original Palm Sunday, there's still hope. Jesus did not suffer on the cross and through all the bouts of mistaken identity while he was Lord and Savior in order to hide the truth from you then or now. He is waiting for you to admit your weakness of spirit and come with a humble and contrite heart to the only Savior you will ever truly need or want. Regardless of whether you are with Christ or with the world, take this week as we wind our way to the celebration of the resurrection to reflect on who he is and what he has done and who you are in him. Your faith cannot but be strengthened or joyously found as a result, God willing. And last in application is much like the first. Take this week to reflect on what ways you have faithfully loved your neighbor as yourself. And serve Christ in loving abeyance. Or haven't. Thinking and speaking the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And how he is living in you and doing it all. In grace. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your sovereignty, your glory, and your grace. As we look forward to Easter, Father, may the message of your word 
providence of your being, and the kindness of your spirit, Father. Let it flow through us and show us the ways that you would have us grow as branches to bear fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.